0: Sunrift Adventures and Historic Travelers Rest, South Carolina, has been outfitting the foothills for over thirty-seven years. With the best boats, bikes, tents, and more. With great brands, Sunrift has you covered for every adventure. Stop into Sunrift Adventures' unique outdoor shop and say hello today. Go to Sunrift.com for more information. That's Sunrift.com. Nature's Edge is brought to you by the Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina, Western North Carolina's only magazine dedicated to the fishing enthusiast. Pick one up at over 400 locations throughout Western North Carolina or visit them online at theanglermagazine.com to find out more. And be sure to follow them on Facebook, Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina. Programming support for Nature's Edge comes from the native watercraft, locally made fishing kayaks designed for Carolina waters and beyond. Models featuring the hands-free Propel Pedal Drive system, the new Slayer 12XC, perfect for fishing the French broad, as well as a full range of kayak fishing accessories can be purchased at the Native Watercraft Factory Store at 210 Old Airport Road in Fletcher, North Carolina. Again, that is 210 Old Airport Road in Fletcher. For more details, Google Native Watercraft Factory Store.
1: Hey guys. Dale Stewart here. Welcome to Nature's Edge. Those of you that know me pretty well know that I am a uh, a big believer in in keeping our oceans and our waterways clean and and doing everything we can to monitor what's going on uh in those uh in those waterways that uh, that we all love and cherish. And I thought it'd be interesting today to have as our guest uh a young lady who's a, a Ph.D. in microbiology and uh, is doing uh, some pretty amazing research with bivalve uh, shellfish uh, or mullocks up in uh, up in Alaska uh, along the coastal areas there. And uh, Dr. Cunahan uh, is a uh, received her Ph.D. in microbiology from the University of California, Davis, and then she joined the Alaska Sea Life Center uh, back in. Uh, to 2011, I believe, and where she's a staff scientist and her research is really focused on the effects of oil contamination on marine animal physiology and the development of biomarkers for nearshore marine ecosystem monitoring. And we'll get her to explain in layman's terms a little more about what that means. Uh, Katrina, welcome to Nature's Edge.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: I am uh, fascinated by the work that you're doing. and. Before we get into specifics, could you tell us a little bit and tell the listeners a little bit about the Alaska Sea Life Center?
2: Yeah, so the Alaska Sea Life Center is a facility in Seward, Alaska, and so it's a public aquarium, and we also have a research facility, so there's several scientists here that focus on uh, researching aspects of the marine env- environment, especially around Alaska, and we also have a wildlife response group. So they'll uh, go out and if there's reports of any animals that are um, having problems, they'll they'll pick up that animal and rehabilitate it and hopefully release it back into the wild. So we get um, a lot of harbor seals and and sea otters, especially this time of year.
1: Sure. And how's the, uh, I got to ask you while I got you, how's the weather in Alaska right now? Kind of warm?
2: Yeah, it's uh, warmer than usual. We've had some weather in the in the 70s and not a lot of rain which is which is rare for Seward we're usually pretty pretty rainy and usually in the 60s in the in the summer so it's been abnormally warm up here
1: oh I know I've, I've spent a lot of time in in Kenai and on the Kenai Peninsula and up and up and through there and uh, I think it's warmer up there right now than I can ever remember it being for for uh, quite a while
2: yeah it's definitely one of the warmest summers that we've had since I've been up here
1: well, let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about your research and um, uh, particularly uh, I'm interested in, in your mullocks research and, and your bivalve research and using uh, what, what a lot of people may not know is, is that uh, that bivalve species, you know, they, they are, uh, they're filter feeders and, and they filter water and particles and, and they create substrates which provide habitat, uh, you know, for nursery grounds for other species and so forth. But because of that, uh, I, I would imagine they are a good indicator of what's going on in the environment.
2: Yeah, they're, they're really useful as indicators. Um, like you said, since they're filter feeders, they accumulate things, especially things like contaminants. So uh, we use them a lot to look at how they respond to oil. That way, if there's an oil spill up here, um, we can sample them and see if they're uh, responding to, to oil in the environment. Um, Also, we can uh, use them to look at other aspects of the environment as well. Uh, A big concern up here is the warming waters, so we can look at aspects of how they function to see if they're responding to warmer waters. Um, Also, nutrient conditions uh, to see if there's enough food in the environment for them, and really useful since they, you know, they stay in one place. They attach themselves to a substrate and they don't move. So we know that when we collect them from an area that they're reflecting the conditions in that particular, particular region.
1: You know, you brought up the, uh, uh, the subject of warm water and, uh, uh, is that, is that still what they call the blob, which is that, uh, warm water that's, that's moved up in the North Pacific, uh, and, and are you seeing some, some changes uh, in the uh, ocean ecosystem uh, as a result of that?
2: Yeah, we've definitely seen some some changes. We were out uh, sampling bivalves in, uh, we did some work uh, with the National Park Service and uh, we worked out in Lake Clark National Park and Katmai National Park. And uh, the Park Service is interested in learning how they're coastal, the coastal ecosystems and national parks are changing. And they were interested in using bivalves because, you know, these parks are really hard to get to. There's a lot of remote areas along the Alaskan coast. And so bivalves are small. They're easy for us to collect and bring back to the lab, and we can get a lot of information from them about the environment. And uh, so in around when the blob was, was occurring uh, a few years ago, we did detect a, a change in, in the bivalves there was a difference in how they were uh, especially responding to to nutrients in the environment and we think that might have been tied to with the warmer waters there were, you know particularly uh, or potentially more um, algae blooms in the area which would provide the the bivalves with more food
1: you know we talk about the the effects of the environment on on these uh, on these on the physiology of these animals and and uh, could you explain to people a little bit about what a biomarker is?
2: Yeah, so it's basically a a, a biological function in the animal. So for example, one of the biomarkers we look at is um, it's called a heat shock protein. And so if we look at uh, that particular protein, uh, that responds to to heat, so heat stress. So we'll see more of that protein if there's uh, you know, if they're exposed to, say, warmer water, and um, it'll be at normal levels if they're exposed to what would be their, their normal temperature. So we can look at different parts of the animal's uh, physiology and see how it's responding, and then that gives us an indication of what's going on with the environment. So there's, we have uh, markers that look at contaminant exposure, so there's ones that respond to oil uh, ones that respond like, to, to nutrients, um, things for ocean acidification. Uh, so they're, they basically give us an, an idea of how the animal is actually responding uh, to, to what might be in the environment. Because you can go out and detect something, say oil in the water, but you don't know if that's actually causing an impact on, on the animal. So with these biomarkers we can see if there's actually an impact occurring.
1: And you and i I'm supposing that that you're looking at or developing ways to look at the cellular and the genetic uh, uh, methods that that these uh, these biomarkers are impacting the muscles
2: yeah there's been uh, a lot of the cellular biomarkers have been uh, developed either for bivalves or in other species there's a lot for for humans of course for human research, and so we've been Taking those and applying them to, to muscles, uh, but there's not a lot of genetic markers, and so we've been working with uh, the U.S. Geological Survey, and they've been developing uh, some of these molecular markers, which are which we can get. You know, with even a, a very small piece of tissue, we can get a ton of information because you can look at a lot of different molecular markers at at one time. Sure. So that's. Uh, been a, another focus of our of our project so we can get even more information from, from these mussels when we collect
1: them. Um, yeah, that's, you know, you mentioned the National Park Service. Um, I actually finished a project with them uh, a few months ago. I do uh, uh, acoustic measurements in wetlands and in water and uh, using uh, hydrophones to uh, look at and listen to what's going on there. And, and we're starting to use those as markers as well about the, the health of a of a particular ecosystem, and and particularly in some of our wetlands and and estuaries, and that's uh, pretty fun stuff to do to get out there and yeah. and do that. Let me ask you a little bit. Now you're the director of the of the Coho Lab, correct? Yes. And and that's basically is that a microbiology uh, diagnostic service or or what? Explain the Coho Lab. Yeah. So it's a it's a
2: lab at the at the Sea Life Center and. We, we do, it's a, it's a diagnostic lab, so we receive samples from various places. Um, we test samples from our, our in-house animals, um, and then uh, people will go out into the field and take samples from, from animals and, and send them to us. And so we do, a, particularly looking for bacteria in, in different animals to see how, uh, either just to see what's there, like if it's a, a wild bird, just to see what, what uh, bacteria they're, they're carrying around. And then for animals in-house, if an animal is sick, we can, we'll can run tests to see what bacteria might be or if there's a bacteria that might be causing uh, that illness.
1: Katrina, uh, you've been up there since what, two, 2011? Is that correct? Yes. Um, yep. Have you seen uh, uh, very much nearshore marine ecosystem changes since you've been there?
2: Um, since i've been here it's there have been a few events and one one major event which was they think might be tied to to the blob uh was the the myrrh die off yeah um and so we had a lot of uh, myrrh showing up dead on on the beaches uh and but other than that there i haven't noticed a lot of of major changes um, in, in things like mussel communities. And, and that's actually why we're interested in doing this project, is a lot of these changes can be very gradual. And so we want to have these techniques so we can collect samples every year and track changes. So you know, you, if you have a catastrophic event like an oil spill, it's easy to see the changes that occur after that. But with these uh, gradual changes from like uh, warming water and um, maybe Slight nutrient differences that occur every year—they're um, harder harder to track, and we want to make sure that we can see what's going on and potentially respond to them to to fix if it's possible to you know remediate any anything that might be occurring.
1: Are there many um, aquaculture or mussel farms uh, in that area?
2: Uh, there's oysters are a big uh, aquaculture uh, up here over. In the in the Homer area, so on the other side of the peninsula sure. uh, from us, and also in Prince William Sound, uh, I believe there's a few mussel operations. I think near Homer as well, but uh, oysters are are a big uh, a big aquaculture item, and also a razor clams. So they're yeah. not used in aquaculture, but mm-hmm. they're they're collected uh, from one of the areas that we. Uh, sampled mussels, uh, mussels and actually razor clams from for the park service, and uh, Pacific Seafood that, uh, will go out and, and collect uh, razor clams from one of the beaches over there, and they've actually been a great partner to work with. Uh, we do uh, some razor clam research, and they've been really supportive of, of that because you know, they, they're concerned about the, how razor clams might be affected by things such as environmental changes.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, I could, I could see where they would be. Let me ask you, um, a- another project that you're, you're working on is, is studying the direct effects you, you mentioned of oil and disbursements and uh, uh, and photo enhancement effects. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that as it relates to mussels and, and other bivalves in the area?
2: Yeah, so we're, we're actually getting ready to, to start a project um, with uh, I'm working with the University of Alaska, uh, Anchorage, and also University of, of New Orleans, and so we're looking at how uh, different oil spill response techniques impact mussels. So uh, basically, there's a few ways that uh, an oil spill can be responded to. Uh, you know, if the weather is really bad, they may not be able to do anything, and so the oil will just sit um, or potentially. They might try and just collect it. Uh, dispersants can be used, which help break the oil down into small droplets and uh, help uh, help it break down by natural processes. And then they can also burn it. And so we're looking at those different techniques and seeing how the mussels respond uh, to those uh, to oil, dispersed oil, and burned oil. But also light's a major uh, factor as well because light can break the oil down into products that are more toxic. And so say there was an oil spill up here in the winter, there's not going to be any light uh, to, to uh, that's not going to be a factor, but if an oil spill was going to happen in the summer, then there's going to be 24 hours of light up on um, in an area such as the North Slope. And so we're also looking at how light can affect the toxicity of the oil and so that way, if if an oil spill occurs, uh, the the people who are responding can be aware of uh, okay, if the weather conditions are are good and we have an option of either dispersing the oil or burning the oil, like a certain method is less toxic, and also you know how the light might factor into that as well.
1: And the light is that's the that's the photo enhanced effect, correct?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: And I can certainly see how the University of New Orleans would be interested in that, with uh, with their recent, uh, well, not so recent, but with the uh, with a major oil spill that was there, uh, the Deep Horizon oil spill. Uh, and of course, uh, and I'm originally from South Louisiana, so I'm pretty aware of what they're doing down there. And that's uh, that's some pretty amazing work.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, they're going to be um, doing some really interesting chemical analysis, so that way we, we can really determine. Uh, how that oil breaks down in response to, to different, different uh, lengths of light.
1: Now, uh, are you also looking at uh, ocean acidification?
2: Uh, we are uh, kind of indirectly. So by looking at some of the, the biomarkers in, in the mussels, there are certain uh, genes that we've been trying to target looking at uh, that that are involved in shell formation. Um, and also one of the things we monitor is the shell thickness uh, to see if the the thickness of the shell is decreasing or or increasing over time at sites.
1: and what about uh, are you seeing any impact of, of your studies as it relates to the uh, survivability of the of the shellfish or to, like in the orchards the spats you know the the, the young uh, the young oysters
2: uh, not with the, the – as far as oil is concerned, uh, with some of the work that we've been doing, uh, luckily they're, they're pretty – with the amount of oil that they mm-hmm. would uh, be exposed to in the environment, um, they actually survive that uh, really well. So we, we use concentrations of oil in our experiments that have been measured after an oil, an actual oil spill. Um, so that way the results are, are ecologically relevant. And we really see that they, they respond uh, really strongly with, with the biomarkers that we measure. Within about the first week, we'll have a really strong response. Um, but we've, we've watched them for, for three weeks after an oil exposure. And they, they survived the exposure pretty well. Um, they do lose weight, so they do lose mass, which which makes sense because they're you know sure. using a lot of resources to to fight the oil. Um, but luckily they they survive the the oil pretty well. Um, and then, but on on the flip side of that is uh, we haven't done experiments past three weeks, so it would be interesting to see past that time, you know, do they recover fully from, from that weight loss or do they have issues, uh, say like reproductive issues that might, might show up, that might affect uh, future, future generations and reduce the population.
1: And, and the results that you were looking for, I'm, I'm thinking uh, are really to be used for as, as a management decision uh, as it relates to the oral recovery methods, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the project we're working on now is is uh, to help them make make management decisions based on, you know, if, it, if it's a, a situation where they can choose, you know, oh, do we disperse it or do we burn it, or is it better just, you know, if the weather's on the edge there, you know, and maybe to leave it uh, and mechanically clean it up to see how uh, the yeah, to see how the toxicity levels vary and to help them make that decision to, to basically choose the, the least toxic method.
1: Katrina, we got a, a couple of minutes left here. I, I did want to ask you, uh, what else uh, are you guys working on? I, I, I know you had mentioned uh, something about birds that's uh, coming down the, the pike maybe?
2: Yeah, I'm doing some uh, work with birds. We have, uh, so in our, our aviary, which is uh, open to the public, we have different species that live up in Alaska, and uh, we have alcids, so we have horned puffins, tufted right. puffins, and common myrrhs, and so I'm doing a project where I'm looking at how their immune function uh, responds to to oil, and oil that's been exposed to light, and so Basically, I just get a little blood from the birds and I'm able to extract uh, the immune cells. So I, I expose the immune cells directly to, to the oil, and that way, you know, the, the birds aren't involved in it at all besides just providing a little blood. Sure. And so, owls uh, can be really heavily impacted by, by oil spills, and uh, even if they're cleaned up and, and released, uh, we wanted to see you know, how their immune function is affected, because we might be releasing a bird that looks healthy, but if their immune function is impacted, they may, you know, die potentially later due to a disease if, if their immune function, if their immune system isn't working properly. Um, so we're looking at that aspect of, of how oil can affect, affect those birds.
1: And you're doing that with birds in, in the aviary there at, uh, at the Alaska Sea Life Center, or are you also uh, trapping some wild birds?
2: Right now we're just working with uh, the birds at the Sea Life Center because they're, they're easy for us to access, they're used to being uh, handled, and that way we can show that this, uh, that we've done actually this work before with, with eiders, um, but you know, it's, it's always nicer to show that it can work with, with captive animals before we go out and actually uh, do anything with, with wild animals.
1: Katrina, if people want to uh, learn a little more, I guess they can go to the uh, alaskasealife.org website, and uh, mm-hmm. I- is there is there a link to your work on there that you're doing?
2: Yeah, under the, the science and research uh, section of the of the website, they have information on what all of the, the researchers here at the Sea Life Center are, are working on.
1: Well, that's a great center that you guys have up there, and I'm hoping to get up there uh, sometime in the... In the next few months and uh love to come by there and visit and because uh, i also want to bring all my recording gear and maybe do some recording out in the uh, coastal area there and also uh record some of those bird sounds oh
2: yeah yeah it'd be wonderful to have you
1: yeah love to do it katrina thank you so much for being on nature's edge and guys again you can go to alaskasealife.org and learn more and Uh, Learn more about the work not only that Katrina is doing, but some of the other scientists up there. Uh, They're doing some pretty amazing shark research as well uh, out of the center there. This is Dale Stewart and Nature's Edge. Run wild, run free, my friends.
0: Visit naturesedgemedia.com. You can check out podcasts, videos, lecture archives from Dale, and much more. Thank you for listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, brought to you by Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina.